How are you? You're not claiming old guy status. You're not claiming old guy status, please. The problem is I run with too many young kids, so like I don't have to claim it. They're just gonna go and give it to me. Oh, that's true. Actually, yeah. Sometimes people project <laughs> onto you. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what? You're not twenty? Then you're old. Yeah, that's right. that's that's crazy. That that's how that works. But yeah, man. You know, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and talk oh, with me. And we might as we got a, so much to talk about. We don't even have to deal with small talk. We might as well just jump right into it now. You're a busy man, I know. And um, first of all. Can I just start off by just saying how happy and proud I am of you? <laughs> I like, you know where I'm going with this already, but um, it's just we go back. We go way back. Yes, we go back. We go way, way back to the point where like I literally saw you starting, and you've just blossomed into this giant, powerful presence in the city, like wielding this power for good, mind you. So I appreciate that because, man, yeah. yeah. All- way back to the streets from queen street to scarborough um you've been around too man and i'm super proud of like i know you and rodrigo and cabby and there's so many people that i got to um interact with when i first got into the industry and i think each and every one of you guys played a role in how i see the game as it is right now yeah, well, I, I I appreciate those kind words, but I I cannot take any credit because <laughs> we our my history with you on your spectrum of the Akil you know <laughs> timeline whatever whatever the the Akil universe I don't know if there's like an extended universe and there are other characters involved or whatever you guys so maybe you guys will form up and create your own Akil Avengers of some sort but I'm in the your I'm on your Iron Man phase of the whole Marvel phase <laughs> one it. you're phase one yes. you're phase yeah one. I am totally you're Howard you're Harris Howard oh maybe sure I'll take he, it he was in the first Iron Man <laughs> and then they replaced him with Don Cheeto sure there you go there you go that's me. There you go. I'm Terrence Howard, and actually, same complexion, sort of, kind of, almost. But I was say you got ooh. a Terrence vibe. Too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, man. But um, again, I'm just so happy for you and all your success and all that. And um, these are interesting times, man. These are interesting times, and uh, most, you, you know, um, just with how everything has been, and how my podcast was, I know I had to change it up because um, there's so many things that really need to be spoken about. Like, I know basketball is a big part of your life. Like, I, I understand this, but. Um, when you started your podcast, I got the impression, and I think you pretty well said it publicly, that you wanted to talk about so many other things in life that were important to you aside from all the sports stuff, and you that was your way of doing it, I believe, was you starting your podcast, right? Do you want to maybe just touch on that a bit? Because this is where we're going. Like, we're not really talking about basketball today, just so you know. Nor, like, do, nor do we need to. Yeah, no. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Um, there's this great analogy. It goes, like, um, to become something, you first have to, like, limit yourself, right? So, like, you be a kid coming out of high school, and like, there's so many things you could do. And someone will say, You'd be a plumber. You're like, I don't want to be a plumber. It's only, I'm only going to be a plumber. But if you go through that keyhole and become a plumber, when you exit that keyhole, keyhole on the other side, you're not just a plumber. Like, you probably have a family, you're a businessman, you're a member of the community, you're all that, right? And so I think for me, when I first started, I, I wasn't a well educated guy, I wasn't well versed, and I was really sheltered. And the world of basketball was kind of the place where I kind of like stepped into and it exposed me to things, right? Working for me, please, entertainment. Forced you to grow up a bit too, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it did, right? And at times it allowed me not to grow up because working in professional sports is still, there's still that boys club mentality that they were still working through and still are working through. But as I got older, um, working in basketball, 
I think it allowed me to see the limits of what I was doing. Because, like, I think a lot of times, especially in this generation, we have very high opinions of ourselves. And we'd like a to little too doing... high sometimes. A little yeah, too right? high, though, man. And we really want to think we're doing a lot. And I think the thing for me was I realized, like, that the Raptors gave me a huge platform. And so people were like, yeah, you're doing all this, you're doing all this. But I was only really doing stuff to entertain. And so I felt like to become a really well-rounded individual, I needed to take what basketball was teaching me. Like, I learned, like, my, my Buddhist philosophies through Kobe Bryant and, and, and Phil Jackson. We're going right? to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. I learned a lot about, like, growing up and becoming a man from Maasai and loyalty from DeMar. And, 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 and this is so many things from the world of basketball that I took and kind of realized that um, – as a young black man in in southern Ontario, which is, you know, mostly where most of the black Canadians outside of Montreal live, um, I had an opportunity because, like, we watch ball, right? Right. Like, collective, right? If you're going to group identify, like, you know, it's a stereotype, but a, lot, a large contingent of the young black men in Canada watch basketball. It's cultural. It's almost, it's, it, it is cultural. Like, it, it is part of our culture. It's, it's something that is passionate, that's shared amongst our community. Regardless of if you're whatever walk of life you are in the black community, if you're a nerd who's a school nerd or you're a thug who's like, you know, you know, whatever, surviving the streets. Let's say that I don't want to use the word term thug. I take that back. I'm going to say just a man that's literally surviving in the basketball has been a unifying thing for us in a lot of ways. Yeah, you can still like we're not a monolith. Yes, we have our people that like different things, but that has been a common source, especially because we haven't had a lot of representation when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to having heroes for us to look up to, and basketball was a big source for us. That was really, I think that was really it. More so, if 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 there were a lot of black people in hockey before there were a lot of black people in basketball, we would all be talking about who has, you know, who, Pierre, who, can't, who, Pierre, who, who can't kill a penalty right now. That would matter more to us than who's got a better three. If it was that we had our heroes from day one in hockey, that's just what it was. Basketball was predominantly a black sport, and it was an opportunity for us to see people that were uplifting themselves by just their skill and raw ability to get above what we all knew as a collective struggle that we all shared, right? So I think it's cultural, and I think it is important. I don't like sometimes people want to dismiss it and just be like, you know, it's just a sport. It's more than a sport for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It's one of the few level playing fields that black people got to engage in because... You know, you couldn't really cut off our leg and tell us to go play. So it was like a level, a level playing field. But um, right. I think me, what basketball did was it gave me, coming from, you know, downtown Toronto, an opportunity to see things. And then what I realized was, like, because I was working in basketball, kids would naturally gravitate towards me because I was rubbing shoulders with Kyle Lowry and right. Kawhi Leonard and these guys. And so I saw that as kind of like um, an end to – kind of like pique their interest on other subjects there's also a responsibility there for you too though i grew up on spider-man comic books and <laughs> that, that's a strange thing too like a lot that's of my true. moral a lot of my moral sensibility like i grew up i memorized the bible as a kid because i grew up in the roman catholic household um but as much as you know jesus christ has played a role in my moral sensibilities like spider-man and batman have played as big a role right and so i kind of and I won't lie, it makes me feel good, honestly. Yeah. I got to throw that in there. Like, I like helping people. Like, There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I, the, I've had this conversation with 
actually someone just recently in terms of selfishness versus selflessness. And um, the way they were putting it to me, and we can get into philosophical stuff as well because that's what we do as well. But Because um, I was speaking about an act that I believe to be selfless. And mm -hmm. she put it to me that, no, there's always an element of the self in anything you do. Absolutely. So even if, and that's what I've said. So that made me question whether or not there's actually ever a truly altruistic act. Well, think about it this way, right? Your number one goal is safety. So someone who provides safety for other people, yeah. what they're doing is ensuring that they're safe because you're never safe if other people aren't safe. Because right. then they feel threatened and they'll act as if they were threatened people. Right. So if you really want to feel safe, help others. You're to make other people feel safe so that you can be safe. Right. As opposed to making yourself feel safe and then you're putting up walls and fences and guarding, but you're also looking over that fence like, who's coming to get me next? Yeah, and that's not how we came up as a species. You know that, right, people? Like, we wouldn't be here right now if we didn't cooperate. I mean, yes, there were other tribes that were also cooperating with each other that were competing with other tribes, but we didn't get this far on the planet without cooperating and helping each other. It's just, and I do believe it is a law of nature that when you put out positivity, you receive positivity. It's just... I think a lot of people like think like it's hard to think that way and it's not natural, right? It's like, oh, people are naturally bad. Everyone's bad. But I don't think that's the case. I think like we're just waking up to like a new operating system. Like abundance is a real thing. I just don't think we've had that mentality. And I think once you adopt an abundance mentality, which is one of the first things I tried to start doing in my 30s, right. was to start feeling like the world was a much more receptive place. Right. Once I started doing that, I realized, that, yeah, like, there is another operating system out there that we, as a collective, aren't functioning on. Yeah, you know, the way I got to my mindset of abundance was through minimalism. That's, that's how I got to it, because once I had less and I felt like I was, what I had was sufficient for what I had, it felt like I literally had more by having less like i don't know if i'm i can explain it properly for people that don't. well i don't know that might sound um like an oxymoron to someone that doesn't understand minimalism though so so i'm big into minimalism right, minimalism right now i don't know if you could tell because there's still a couple like <laughs> no but I, it's a process and it can be a never-ending process and again minimalism doesn't mean that you get rid of all your stuff it just means what you have has meaning for you or a function for you everything else Really, if it doesn't serve a function in your life or it doesn't have some sort of meaning to you as a sentimental meaning, like I love books. So as you can see, there's quite a few books behind me. And but I'm not going to be a minimalist and only have one book at any given time. Like that's just like I treasure books. They are valuable to me. Maybe for someone else, it's records. Maybe you love records so much and you get enjoyment out of listening to those records and the music and it's therapeutic for you. Buy a lot of records. Go ahead. But don't have, I don't know, three or four mops in your apartment or, I don't know, whatever is in your apartment. That drawer not... full of crap that just <laughs> full of crap. It's not serving a function, but it's your, your, you're almost tainting your environment and in turn your mentality. By... Clean up the room. Yeah. That's one of the best pieces of advice that changed my life. Um, and it's important. Like For me, the thing with sneakers, um, as a kid, I was... You know, everyone says they were poor. Because as kids, you probably were poor, right? Like, the majority of the world was poor. So we're all poor growing up. Like, right. it's, it's a rare exception that your parents could afford everything that you wanted. Um, and I think as I got into my late 20s, I got into a position where I could buy all of the shoes that I wanted. 
and then, well, I mean, probably I couldn't, but I felt financially I could. Right, you were you had a little more cash, and you were able to but have a little more ch- options, and you were feeling like a baller. Yeah, and then in my thirties, I got a sneaker deal with Nike. Oh yeah, then you must have really been feeling like a baller now. Then it was yeah. like I, and then it was just like I was just collecting things, and a lot of my personal space was dedicated to the maintenance of things that were more so for outside events and image than they were for the actual use of the space that I was occupying, right? And so I think when I divorced myself from collecting sneakers, and um, I used to collect a lot of books, but my thing is to give away books now, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good thing to do, too. I love giving yeah. away books. I and love I it. Gave away shoes. Yeah. I, so the giving that I got into, it just... Let me close this door. Oh, it's okay. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. But um, this is the 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 beauty of doing live Zoom chats when we're all trapped in our homes because of an invisible monster out there, right? The invisible monster. <laughs> yeah, the the, the, um, the chimera. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So what was I saying? Oh, um, just in terms of giving away books and just your space, and and in terms of like you were able to get more and more, and now you're starting to realize. Maybe having more respect for your space, surrounding space, which I assume is the direction you were going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the space became a lot more functional. And yeah. like, again, I think I, I read this somewhere, but like you're in, you're, the space that you occupy is a representation of your own mental space, right? right. It's like the, the corner that's dusty and full of shit is a corner of your mind that is represented. Like again, I'm pretty woo woo and pretty spiritual, <laughs> so to me, I'm one of those guys that believes we are in the matrix. I actually believe that we are kind of manipulating creating this place that we live in i believe that too i believe yeah, that thought is living. to think righteously is to create to think yeah. righteously is to create basically and um and we're creating with our word with our thought everything, like everything. and everything is made of energy and energy is a real tangible thing that again i don't think a lot of people give credit to which i'm hoping i think it is changing though i think you're right i think we're get i think we're on a precipice of more and more people Accepting these the age of Aquarius. Say that again? We're, we're exiting the age of Pisces, and we're entering the age of Aquarius. That's oh. why the Mayan calendar ended in 2012. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We, so it's um, it's actually the positioning of um, of, uh, of us astrologically. Okay. So, so, like, you know, like, all the, like, uh, horoscopes, right? Yes. There are positions in the sky that the Earth, in its movements, move into. Right. So, that we're moving out of Pisces, which is a water sign, yeah. and we're moving into Aquarius, oddly enough, which is an air sign. Okay, interesting. So, I, don't, so I always you, thought Aquarius was a water sign because the symbol was someone holding a pitcher of yeah. water. Yeah, no, it's an air sign. I was having an argument with someone about that the other day because, or not the other day, a while ago. I was just like, no, it's a water sign. They were like, no, it's an air sign. And I was like, no, it's a water sign. And I was dead wrong, obviously. I realized that after I had to go, I didn't believe them because I've only ever seen a man holding a pitcher of water. Aquarius, aqua, it's in the name, right? You think it's water. But yeah. it, I didn't know that either, but yeah. How did you How did you learn it was air? Just studying the... Research, research, okay. research. So you can see a lot of things like, I mean... A lot of ideas, like, like one of the biggest things that let us know that we were approaching the age of Aquarius was quantum physics. Right. Because quantum physics blew the door off of everything we knew about the universe. 
universe. Right. Like everything scientists thought was real. Quantum and so we're entering the quantum physics portion of our education as a globe, as a as a as a species. Okay. Right. Like a lot of things that we thought about before. Like you think about it, like we're now embracing the idea that this race stuff is ridiculous, right? Finally. We're now Finally. We're now fighting, oh my we're now god. Fighting the patriarchy, right? Yeah. Like we're now um kind of doing the Me Too movement and environmentalism is, is ratcheted up. And so you can see like a, a, a rise. A bubbling almost, yeah. Yeah, like we're moving from paper money to Bitcoin. Like it's a new world. We're entering a new phase and a lot of the old ways of doing things, like you see how like the new business models are working, right? You got like companies that will do altruistic work for free and, and not-for-profits get free accounting Everything's gonna be different, man. Yeah, so that that whole thing, I, the the way they always want to taint good deeds because it makes money, I think needs to stop. That needs to stop. I I don't understand why people find it so acceptable for you to poison a river in the name of a dollar, but to help people and make a buck at the same time just seems to be wrong to people. It's so ass backwards to me. Yeah, and it's it's weird how we react to that kind of information. And I don't fully understand it. I, I'm with you. I don't fully understand it. I know it's just like a more of an emotional reaction to like maybe virtue signaling or something. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. But that's, that's a whole other tangent that we could go, <laughs> go down forever. And I got a lot that I wanted to cover with you. I actually have notes here that I'm going through right now. Um, because uh, I think you and I are sort of a, a spiritual tribe. That's a, how a friend of mine would put it, too, in terms of... If, even though, yes, we are, we're kinfolk and we're skinfolk, but I actually also think that we are also of a spiritual kin as well in terms of the, probably the way we look at things spiritually and just our approach in things from a spiritual standpoint or whatever. So, you know, I was happy to see a lot of that stuff about you because it's been so long since we've spoken, but you were going on. I almost feel like you're on the same sort of spiritual path that I've been going on myself because meditation has always been very important to me in my, most of my adult life. It's it's yeah. it's basically I don't know I don't think I'd be where I am right now if it wasn't for meditation like simply it's, it's really true like uh, it's everything for me it's it's how I just navigate the world in terms of the trials and tribulations that the world brings at you right and you posted that uh, video of Kobe Bryant talking about how he meditates every morning for fifteen minutes and I I saw that and I was like yeah Sakil yeah and I reposted it yeah Akil I dropped the J Cole one too. Okay, yeah, yeah, the J, yeah, because that's the thing too. He's another one that I've been seeing a lot, speaking publicly a lot about meditation, and I, I, I know you probably feel the same way. I wish they would just teach meditation in school to kids from like kindergarten. Like, uh, want to hear something crazy? Yeah, please. Like everything's I crazy just to me. Not for profit called Mind Club International, um, and we are going to be creating a bridge program. So we'll be teaching youth grade seven and eight um, mindfulness techniques, and we'll be monitoring them as they go through high school. So we're partnering with Market Lane and Jarvis High School, Jarvis Collegiate, and uh, we're going to do a pilot program for about twenty kids uh, when school starts again. So we just we just finished a proposal. We're going to go through our first round of funding um, and. I'm in agreement with you. Kids need to be meditating, so I'm going to start with the most uh, at-risk kids. I want to start focus on the kids in Thorncliffe, and Lord Dufferin, and Cataraki, and Regent. And we're just going to try and create this program and get as much funding for it as possible. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make me cry, it was literally the project that I was spending my entire quarantine working on. That's so perfect. It's crazy, right? It, man, you're going to make me cry. Yeah! Get out of here, man. That's such a good thing, man. 
Well, I'm gonna bring you in. I'll send you some material. That's a good thing. Oh, you're so dumb. You're so dumb. <laughs> you're so dumb, man. You're so dumb. That's a good reaction. You're so dumb. Are you so dumb? dumb? All right. Oh, uh, I'm so old and emotional now. This sucks. Like that's good. That's good. We get vulnerable as we get older. I guess so. But yeah, that's just the most one of the most beautiful things that I've heard, and that's exactly what's so needed today. And um, yeah, shit, man. Stupid idiot. Ah, buddy! Idiot. <laughs> uh, okay, anyways. I'm happy and it's a good thing. <laughs> Great so, thing. Yeah, it is. It's a good thing. So let's talk a bit about meditation then while I try to get the, my eyes to stop. Basically, <laughs> okay? Um, because I saw you say in a video too how important it was that... Um, how important your mental health was. And this is a thing. I think so many people... We've reached this point where people are so obsessed with their physical health that I'm hoping now the last part of this puzzle for a lot of people will be the mental health part, which I think it is. I think the, I think the, the taboos and the stigmas of mental health from the negative side of it in terms of, you know, whatever, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, whatever mental health issues, people are starting to be more accepting of people dealing with those things. But, yeah, you may not have a clinical issue, but you should still be taking care of your mental health. You know, uh, you know what I mean? So it's like, don't wait until you literally need to see a therapist before you start to take your mental health seriously, which I know you don't, but you mentioned it in one of your past interviews. And I was like, yeah, you know, screw the sports. We got to, this is what needs to be spoken about. So just talk about what, at what point in your life did you start to take your mental health extremely seriously and how did you go about doing it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this is a deeply uh okay i won't try to get emotional but this is a story that goes back to my childhood so i moved to north america probably around six or seven and that was probably the last time i saw my parents my parents uh my family moved to brooklyn new york and then they sent me here to go to school and for whatever reason i didn't see my parents again for another 20 some odd years so i grew up with my parents okay so probably around the age of like 10 or 11 i started to battle depression but I didn't understand what it was. So I had, like, this condition where I would just, like, I would, um, I couldn't move. And I would just lie in my bed. Mm. And, like, I would get extremely hot. And I would like, press my body against the cold wall just to relieve myself. And I, was, I had all these, like, really, like, negative thoughts. Because just not being around your family and not really having a support system and being in a very, you know, my childhood wasn't the best. Right. Okay. So um, I think... I struggled a lot in my childhood uh, and in my teen years, but I think the thing for me was like, I'm so easily distracted, like I forget that I'm depressed. Like I can get caught up in something really quickly. So that was like a saving grace for me. Okay. When I was about 18, um, there were some legal issues I got into and there was a lot of stuff going on in my family. Hmm. Um, And I was put in a position that had to do a lot of things and I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to go to school. I wasn't able to do, legally do anything that a lot of people could do. And so I fell into a really deep depression around 18. At the time, I was, um, or 19. So I was in this depression when I was 18, 19. And then I was going to school. I started going to school at Seneca College. And one of my professors put me in this program um, for like young upcoming filmmakers. I made a documentary film and then he put me in this program and I went to the program and again, um, some of my legal issues came back to kind of haunted me with the program. 
And so I kind of had to leave the program. But the program was at the National Film Board of Canada. Okay. Which was at the time at, uh, we know across the street from Scotiabank Theater. Sure. So directly across the street from Scotiabank Theater. Okay. So I think the day I, I had to leave the program, I just walked and I was so depressed. I didn't want to go home. So I just walked to the bookstore that was across the street, the Chapters. Mm-hmm. I went to Chapters and went to the third floor and I just kind of hung out. I kind of like sat in like one of the like aisles, just like, didn't know what to do with myself. And um, the Dalai Lama's Book of Happiness happened to be one of the books in that aisle. Okay. So I read the Dalai Lama's Book of Happiness, and then I read another book by him, and then I read something about Lao Tzu, and I read something about Jadu Krishnamurti, and then I read something by someone else. Okay. And I kind of got on this journey. Ever see this one, or have you ever read this guy yet? Or? Yes, 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 okay. yes, I have. Yeah. So I kind of went on this, like, award tour with Muhammad, my man. Except it wasn't Muhammad, it was the <laughs> right, right, right. And um, I really just dug in. Like, I was a terrible meditator. Like, it wasn't even that, like, I was good. Because I'll tell you how, like, for the first 10 years of my meditation, it was really just, I was just doing the act. And that's the act of deciding to meditate was important for me that's a good that's the oh, that's the only first step yeah that's the only first step you can't but in hindsight right after maybe 33 or 34 when stuff started to happen right started you, your career started taking off yeah and you really developed your mental skills and then I, I think i encountered alan watts around 33 oh nice yeah Terrence McKenna, a lot of the more progressive thinkers. Mm-hmm. But I think looking back on the first 10 years of meditation, after going somewhere far, you're like, I wasn't even meditating. <laughs> what the hell was I doing? Oh, right, yeah. But it had a good effect. But, but it pales <laughs> in comparison to what I do now. Okay, that's fair. But this is coming from someone that's been meditating for a long time for you to say that. But I want to make this clear to everybody out there. There's no such thing as bad meditating. No, there isn't. Yeah, but people think that people think that. And that's what keeps a lot of people from even doing it in the first place, because they try it. And they don't think they're doing it right when there's no wrong. There's, you know, I tell some of my guys who I teach meditation, I go, a bad meditation that you have feel no attachment and guilt or about is better than a good meditation that you keep trying to recreate. Right. Okay. I've never heard so that said before, but that's, yeah. I don't think anyone's ever said it. It's probably poorly said because I made it up. But I think <laughs> so like, you know, like, like if you can have a bad meditation and walk away from it, like, okay, yeah, let me go back tomorrow. That's a good meditation. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's meditation i don't i truly believe there's not it's all in the effort and it's all part of the process of just do, there's no end result you're not trying to get to an end of anything in this it okay so yeah we, we might as well talk about it a bit because um again just uh your mindset and your mental health are so important and again i've said this before and i'll say it again that uh people are so focused on their physical being in the gym working on weights and like looking at what they see in the mirror it's, it's got to be a whole thing man it can't just be the outside it's got to be the inside too especially with your mind and for all these people too a lot of these people want to achieve whatever their definition of success is but you can't do that without a good mindset and a, you know being able to focus on whatever the task at hand might happen to be which meditation can help you with and here's the thing that i wanted to talk to you about because i think a lot of people confuse mindfulness with meditation so yeah like, they're two completely different things so sometimes and 
do you have this? Do you have a lot, a lot of friends in your circle who don't meditate that you've been trying to convince to start to meditate forever? Yes, my entire family. <laughs> from my mom down to my little sister, <laughs> best friend down to my brothers, from my uncles, everybody. I'm probably the lone meditator in my family. I, I convinced my older sister to get involved in her husband. So we're like the dynamic trio right now. I'm working on my mom. My little sister's going to be a big ask. And my dad, dad is Rastafarian, so he just smokes weed. Okay, sir. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you know it's so good for them. And you don't want to give up on trying to convince them. So to you pressure them. and you become that insane yoga guy or, or the, you're like a vegan. You know what I'm saying? Like, like one of those people just like pushing your agenda on everyone. <laughs> That's been a shortcoming of mine that I have to work on. It's, it's hard because you know it's so good for you. It's like I literally want to give you this gift of good life if you would just take it and just do what I ask you to do. But everyone's a crackhead and you're saying stop smoking crack. That's what it feels like. It's like, no, stop smoking crack. And you're like, like, no, let us smoke our cracks. Like, no! That's how you feel. Like, I have the key to what's, what can fix you, and nobody wants to take this key. Oh, man. And, it, and the beauty of meditation is you don't even have to believe in it for it to work. You just have to do it. <laughs> I, just to touch on what you were saying earlier about like people who are obsessed with like their physical manifestation in their body. Like, right. And the funny thing about meditation is it will recontextualize all of that. Like, you won't want to be as fit. Like, I was 180. Like, all muscle. Right. People think I'm anorexic now. It's like, I don't need to pack on 20 pounds of muscle. For what? For my ego to feel like I look like John Cena? Like, it's like, no. And, like, so I think meditation, because it kind of gives you some of what you're searching for, but not knowing that you're searching it, it kind of recontextualizes your goals. Like, my goal was to be on ESPN – have my own show on HBO and and maybe a night talk show after Fallon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For the goal of 23-year-old Akilah Augustine. Sure, right. And it's like, right now, all I want to do is raise some children, maybe have some nice space in the city and, and work with people to help them become, you know... And contemplate little... the world in life. Yeah, like, I don't even want a TV show. Like, it's not even on right. my bucket list anymore. It's like, so I think the beauty of it is for a lot of people who are obsessed about, you know, losing the 10 pounds, getting the six pack or getting that job, like meditation kind of recontextualizes your goals and mm-hmm. kind of takes the pressure off and allows you just to kind of enjoy the moment a bit more. And even still, even if those goals still are important to you through meditating, you can actually achieve those goals through meditating. Never, so many of my goals I've achieved through meditation, but it's kind of like in a weird way. Cause like, I think like, I felt like I had to press rude against stuff right. but now it's like, stuff's just slipping into my life like as i'm walking by and it's just like popping in it's like right right it's just another mode of being yeah and again it, it goes right back to the same thing to that um kobe bryant clip again when he's just talking about like it keeps you centered through because you're never not going to in, face obstacles or just trials or adversity but ad- it's impossible to not experience adversity but you will navigate it better if you can center yourself better, which you can do that through practicing meditation, which is, I think when you hear someone like Kobe Bryant say, you think a lot of other people would be like, okay, well, it works for him. The proof is in the pudding. Again, me and you are in the same boat because like we're here and we want everyone to meditate. And again, I I started with meditation. That's why I moved from meditation to mindfulness. Right. I think 
huge asks to ask. And, and another thing about meditation, I'm kind of over it. Oh, really? It's no, because I think it's mindfulness that's the key. Because I can't take my meditation with me. Of course you can. <laughs> no, what I'm talking about is like, this, I couldn't be like I am in a meditation oh. outside. Oh, yes, I see what you're saying. But yes. I can be mindful here. Always, yeah. And there. Yes, that's true. But this is what I do. I, I, I reserve my meditation for my solitude. Yes, and I yes. use, and I, my mindfulness is for when I'm out there. That's, so that's what I was, I'm starting to learn is like, not everybody's comfortable with solitude. Oh, sure. Yeah, no. And we're, that, unfortunately, this is where this is 2020. It's been the year, the fuckery year of all fuckery years. So, I mean, like, basically, people are getting forced into having to deal with the solitude thing now for a lot of people because, uh oh, pandemic. So, my bridge has been mindfulness. Because I don't think I can get the guy who was, like, on Instagram for six hours today, watched three Netflix episodes and played four hours of, 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 of um, PlayStation Ooh. to meditate. I can't do it. Right. But I can get him to do 40 seconds of nostril breathing. Yeah. And maybe You're right. ten solid breaths of in, hold, out, right? You're right. You're absolutely right. It's an easier bridge to yeah, get them to. And yeah. then once they once they feel the payoff of the mindfulness, of, yeah, of the little bit of mindfulness they're doing, yeah, then it's like okay, then hit me with the real. Drug. Oh, you're like a drug dealer. You're giving them a little yeah. taste. <laughs> the first hit's free. The first hit's free. <laughs> you just want to get them hooked. So yeah, yes, so yeah. It was a, it was a matter of like you know learning because I would come with the heavy handed. Come with me and sit for half an hour in quiet. I'm okay. Here's the thing. I always start. I always ask people for five minutes. That's what yeah. I would say. Just, That's fair. Just, just try for five minutes, and I would almost get on my knees and beg people. Just, just five minutes of just, just focus on your breathing and whatever thought comes into your mind. Just observe it and let it go by, and just stay with your breath. And so I've got. I've moved down to like. So my practice with newcomers now is twenty nostril breaths okay. and then ten. Four, four, four holes. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. Because mindful, getting someone to do a mindfulness med- exercise is far easier than asking someone to even do five minutes, even two minutes. Two minutes of, for someone that's never meditated seems like an eternity to sit still and just not, you know, have any pressure on you in terms of having your thoughts be somewhere or trying to at least acknowledge you're getting swept away in your thoughts and come back to something else. Either or, because time is relative. Yeah, it's it's extremely relative. relative which I, I'm learning. I remember, like, you asked me 20 years ago, five minutes. Five minutes of fucking long. It's it's an eternity. It's especially it, the. I remember the first time I tried meditating for the first time, and I I did 10 minutes. I tried to do 10 minutes for my first time, and the first two minutes felt like 10 minutes to me. I I said, okay, how long has this been? And I looked at my watch, and it was like three or two or three minutes, and I was like, you're shitting me. I was like. That felt like I was already sitting here trying to do this for like at least six, seven minutes. I thought easily, easily. It's that Dude, first time a 20, to... a twenty minute meditation, and I thought I was a guru. <laughs> it was like the first time I hit twenty, I was like, "I'm a guru." <laughs> I can teach people. Now I can slip into a two hour meditation, no problem. Sick. And like, what the? I am not even there yet. I I can do a maximum probably now an hour. 
probably. Mm. I can do about an hour if I chose to, but I'm I'm comfortable with thirty minutes. Yeah, I think I think too. I fell in love with it, and like again, have you transcendental meditated? No, I've read a bit about it, but I've. It's almost like I can't even. I I know I won't even be able to master the one technique I'm doing now, and I can spend the rest of my life with my one technique. Well, you got a couple more lives, and that's the thing I try to remind people: is like, yeah. every not everyone's built for every technique. Right. It's like Shaq wasn't shooting threes, and I want people to think of meditation like basketball, like hockey. Tell, tell like, me, tell me how you how, tell me your analogy for meditation as basketball, because this is interesting now. Okay. Because, like, you think about basketball, hockey, football, anything, people have different positions. Right. They're built differently. And I don't think our bodies and our brains are that different in terms of, like, I'm a high-energy guy. I'm, a, I'm super wired. I'm super verbal, right? So, like, why would I expect my meditation practice to be the exact same as... Um, right. Someone um, who's calm and more stoic um, or... Rapid. Yeah. And then I realized something, too, like... Meditation is a masculine thing because the masculine, in a certain extent, watch, watch how this breaks down. Okay. The masculine enjoys stillness, not men. Right. No, the masculine, masculine energy. Yeah, I get what you're, where you're going with that. Yeah. It enjoys the depth of stillness. Okay. Right? Whereas the feminine energy enjoys fullness hmm. and movement. Okay why we find women graceful and voluptuous or even a gay guy finds a, a, a man who embodies his feminine right to and be it's giving up that feminine energy yeah the bear um archetype in 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 homosexuality right a hairy big barrel chested man mm-hmm. that's like a different type of encapsulation energy. Right. so then i discovered well look at all the great meditators of, of history right they're men right the buddha sat right so the meditators are men I stumbled upon something called Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga. Okay. I realized it's all women. Like, why is Kriya Yoga all women or men that I would say embrace their feminine much? Because it involves movement. It's a type of meditation, hmm. but it has so much movement to it, it's impossible for me to do. So, what I'm realizing is, and again, not to say that there's a masculine and feminine breakdown of it, but like, there are so many subcultures, there's street ball. There's um, European ball. There's Pre- Princeton style basketball. <laughs> sure. There, there's um. It's still uh, the same sport, but there's so many variations to it. Yeah. But we need a street ball version of meditation. We need the European version of meditation. We right. need the big three of meditation and the NBA of meditation right. and the NAA of meditation. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to democratize it because I think like even Asia has their different multiple um, disciplines. Like you look at India, you look at Tibet, you look at China and you look at Japan and they're all rooted from like a similar practice, but there are so many offshoots and offsprings of the practice. And then we as North Americans took the one export <laughs> of it and said, everybody use this one export. <laughs> you're right. right. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. Versions of this thing. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're absolutely right. But yeah, well, I'm, I'm good with the, the technique I've had now, but now you're, you're making me reconsider. Maybe I need to explore some other techniques now. There might be something that can allow you to do a five-hour meditation. And you don't even know. Maybe it's humming and or whirling dervishes. You know the whirling dervishes? No. It's the Muslim version of meditation. Okay. The dervishes spin. Literally like this. 
for an and hour. So fast that they lose their placement in time and space. Okay. And they go into a static, rapturous, meditative state. YouTube whirling dervishes. Meditation. No, just YouTube just whirling, whirling dervish. dervish. Okay. Don't call they have, I, I take back the term called. It's its own faith, mm-hmm. its own customs, outfits, temples, but it's a physical manifestation of moving your mind into another state. Oh. So there's so many ways to do it. Oh, okay. Have you, have you tried chants? No. Oh. I'm a big fan of silence. I love silence. <laughs> and I'm a, like, silence is my shit. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just selling, like, I think we're just tied, like, we, we think meditation is one thing. It's not. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely 100% right. And I, I do know that just simply because I have my one technique, but there's so many variations of my own one technique that can be done in terms of working with your breath or even if you for me i always looked at it as your breath is the first thing the only reason why i stuck with my breath is because that way i knew i could be able to use my technique wherever i was because if i don't have my breath then i got all other sorts of problems so it's like you know you are your breath man yeah that's that's the whole point being like i would be dead without my breath so it's like that's the whole thing is that wherever I am, if I need to meditate, which I do do, I also will use that in terms of if I'm in a public situation where I need to calm myself down because I just need to think a little more rationally, I will focus on my breath and I will because that's what I've always practiced doing. But um, I, you can graduate to focusing on a candle. You can graduate to literally focusing on body parts and moving up from your feet to your crown to your head. And then you heard of EFT. EFT, no. It's called tapping. I've seen people doing this. I've never understood it. I've okay. So there are so much like acupuncture. There are zones in your body that really resonate to touch, like your chakras. Yeah, right. and you can tap them EFT into a blissful state. Hmm. Tap your head. Tap the tip of your forehead. I've seen the tap. I've seen tap, the tip of the forehead one. You tap your heart. And you just sit there and breathe and tap. Like honestly, someone's gonna come up with DJ scratching. <laughs> They're just gonna do this and get this. Like that's how ridiculous. But if you think five thousand years ago when they were inventing these techniques, they sounded friggin' ridiculous and uncomfortable. I know. I know. Even now, if someone's gonna hear us this conversation and call us hippies, I promise yeah, you, that's how it works. Like. When, when, when Jesus did his first prayer, he didn't know that everybody would do that same prayer for the, for the next 2,000 years. Right. The first time he said it, people were like, wow. I'm going to bite that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Like, I just think we need to be more creative with our, with our meditations. We need to find like, yeah, you're right. free of meditation. You're right. I, I'm a big, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of guy. I'm, I'm the type of guy that breaks things. Okay, yeah. You're, you're a breaker. <laughs> You're a, you're a breaker of things. You're a breaker of the wheel. Okay, let me get a couple of other things in here because... Oh, am I Daenerys Targaryen? Yeah, you breaker are. You're, you're, the, you're the breaker of chains, it sounds like it, but you're just doing it through meditation. No yeah, just don't get a dragon. If you get a dragon, it's <laughs> we're all over. We're all done. Then I, then I, it's fine. I'll be I'll be like in the Kalasar or whatever it is. I'll ride with you. Like <laughs> I'm good with that. I called. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so the Buddha, you said, was a big influence for you as well as uh, Kobe Bryant. And um, I was surprised to hear you say the Buddha first and foremost, though, as your influence. And um, can you just because you so you said you went into that bookstore or whatever you were on a super depressed day and you just happened to see that book. And what did you just like? Did you pick it up that day and did you read it? And like, so I, I was broke. 
So what I did was I went back to the bookstore every day. And just read a bit of it each day? And the thing about that chapters is like, and I love chapters and the world's biggest bookstore because I spent most of my early 20s inside those stores. Like literally, it's like if the employees from the chapters and world's biggest bookstore, when they turn on the TV, they're going to be like, yo, that's that kid. Because I lived in those two places. I just kept going back. And for me, it was like, um, I hadn't heard anything like that. Right. And I was dying to hear it. Yeah. Like, I really needed to hear it. Like, I think I grew up, uh, I questioned, because my dad's Rastafarian, but the people I grew up with were Roman Catholic and staunch Roman Catholics. So and right. I put us, I suppose, from the second I arrived, right? Right. So I didn't really have a lot of, like, overarching philosophies, because my dad wasn't around to teach me the Rastafarian traditions in a very detailed way. I got most of it from reggae and from right. other guys I met on the street. Right. And Catholicism. The second I got to Canada, I had a problem with white Jesus because I came from like Trinidad, <laughs> Brooklyn, yeah. and then I'm going to this building to pray to a white guy. Yeah, you're like, nah. You're like, nah. It was so far disconnected from me <laughs> that I didn't really have an overarching philosophy or principle to my life, especially not having parents to pass one on. Right. So I kind of was just wandering through life. Yeah, so that's, a- that's exactly what happens to you when you don't have at least something. Like, I don't necessarily ascribe to religion, but it gives you a, somewhat of an anchor until you decide yeah. how you want to anchor yourself. But, I mean, it's a start, at least, because my, my mom forced me into church. I had to start off with church and learning all the scriptures or whatever and all that stuff. It wasn't necessarily for me, but she at least waited until I was old enough to decide for myself. But she still put me into that. At least it gave me some sort of... At the bare minimum, as a child, it'll give you some sort of moral code, so to speak, to kind of start to navigate the world from. But you can build on it or destroy it yourself as an adult once you choose to do it based on how you want to conduct your life. But I do think it's important. And I think with you missing that, you can't help but feel lost. I can't imagine. But I will give credit because I'm not a religious. I'm not. I don't believe. In, I'm, how do I say this properly? I don't practice religion. Right. But I am religious. You're spiritual. Yeah, but, I'm, but religiousness is also a thing. Too. Okay, like, yes. Religiosity is almost belief in a framework outside of yourself, right? That still so sounds like, like spirituality to me, though. But 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 spirituality is more of an individual thing, okay. right? Whereas I think religiosity is more of a co- collective thing. Mm, okay. Whereas the religion serves the group. Your spirituality serves yourself, right? But, but it serves the, others. It does, but it starts with you. I think a religion is more something that a group can... Because you say spirituality, it's hard for a group to gather around your spirituality. But you look at what Christianity right. is, um, and Judaism has done for, for, for their collective groups. Yeah. They've moved them forward in certain ways. So I think there's a certain respect to religion. But I wasn't religious, but I'm very thankful that I grew up in a religious household. Like I memorized the Bible by the time I was like 15 because oh, okay. I had to read the Bible every night in my aunt's household. Um, I know all the, I know all the prayers. I can't believe you and did I, all that and you still didn't turn out to be like a pastor or something. How did this not happen? Well, I think the thing for me too was like, I, I had my, my dad's a Rastafari. Oh, and he would call me. He would call me and he's very anti. Church. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, establishment, everything. Yeah, so like he always like no matter what my aunt tried to do, he peppered in the speculation and the Rastafarianism that kept me from you know accepting that information wholeheartedly. I think it was a blessing. Yeah, it was a blessing. But what I think people need to recognize is like 
our whole moral code could not exist without religion. Like you think about how human beings would have acted. Like we think we're a very civilized group of people, hmm. but we're Judeo-Christian moralistically. Hmm. We are. You can't fight it. I know we'd like to, but everything about us is Judeo-Christian. The I, fact that we, the fact that we believe that we, our personalities, like the fact that we think beyond religion, is a result of religion. You you couldn't have gone to beyond religion without religion. I agree with you to an extent, but that feels more like you were we were socialized. But I feel like you get the opportunity to not accept that socialization by choosing to reject the religion, right? Um, I, think, I think that works if you're looking at it as a on, a on a macro. I mean, a micro. But if you look at it on a macro, I don't think human beings are individuals. I think human beings one. But I think morals and ethics are intrinsic. In no, you. they're not. I think so. I think I think you can intrinsically know the difference between right and wrong. I think you know the difference between hurting somebody and knowing that. How it's far wrong. back? How far back? From the beginning of time. From like no, I disagree. You disagree? Because I, oh. I don't think that. Because I, I think. Oh, we're you're not that different. We're not. We're not that. Like I think some people don't believe we're animals. I think that's one of the problems. Who we think, that? No, I, you make people don't believe we're animals. And if you if you actually Ooh. know Ooh. a lot of people, anybody who thinks anybody who thinks that we naturally have morals, like because animals don't have morals, of course they do. Tell me the morals of an animal, because I'm talking about our Judeo Christian morals, like democracy, like um, that's a social that's a, that's a human construct. Enemy. Democracy is a, a human construct. It's a human construct, but where does the construct come out from? That... Two thousand two thousand years of, of, of Roman Catholic thought. Mm, okay, you know what? This is. I, I wish we could explore this forever and ever, but there's so many other things. Like you're going off on tangents that I can't afford to go off on right now. But, but you're, you're 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 picking my brain, man. This is where we're gonna go. Yeah, this it is true. I want to keep going this way, but we there's can do so many... a second yeah. episode. We can do a second follow up episode where we break down the Roman Catholic <laughs> impact on humanity and its thought. Because I don't know. Because I do believe there is an intrinsic good. In us, that you know the difference between. You ever met a feral child? A feral child? Yeah. I've. Child breeds without parents. A ch- say it again. A feral child. A, a fer- child raised without parents. Uh, that's isn't that the Tarzan story? <laughs> it sounds like the- that's not a real story, but they have found feral children. Right. Okay. So with the, you're saying the feral children now they they don't have any sense of moral or ethics is what you're saying, right? Yeah, they're animals. No, no, no. But I are animals. No, but they they operate on like an operating system of their nervous systems dictates how they behave. No, but that but there's no human being that could be raised in the wild on its own. It had to be raised by some other animal. So maybe it was gorillas or whatever animal that chose to take care of it. No, humans are too vulnerable for too long to survive to be any sort of child or adolescent without the help of something else protecting it for a good while. research on feral children. Okay, you we get... have to follow up episode. <laughs> okay. You believe that a lot of what we think of ourselves is the result of. Um, You're not. This is some. I, okay, I'm. My mind is open to all and everything. Absolutely, <laughs> I, it always will be. Like I will never. I know I know nothing. This much I know. I don't know anything too. Yeah. I might be wrong about all this. Yeah, this we can, I could be talking out of my ass. All I know is that this is. I can only speak my truth and try to argue my truth. And no. if it means that I wind up coming landing on a new truth, so be it. So 
Okay, so this is how it's going to have to be. But we, I wanted to talk to you about like the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd stuff too. Let's do it. Seven minutes. Okay. We got seven minutes. Let's okay. Do it. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. So, okay, we're going to have to do a cliff notes. We're not going to give this the time it deserves because we went on friggin' philosophical tangents. So, everybody's talking about it. Ain't nobody people talking about meditation right now. It's true, we, but okay, this is our part. Well, we are doing our part, but this is part of the reason because we're living in such a crazy time. I'm very optimistic with the fact that for once, black people have a lot of ears. I, that's as optimistic as I can be about it because we've been let down so many times that that's as far as my optimism and hope can go is that I'm happy that there are ears listening. That's it. What happens beyond this, who knows? You well, know, I can tell you, like, I'm working in corporate Canada right now and um, my voice has never been, like, people have never listened to me this much and there's a lot of things going on, especially with the people I work with over at Movie Sports Entertainment and helping the Leafs and helping the Raptors and helping TFC and helping syrup so like we're doing things and um we're we're, we're creating demands of like things you never thought would happen i would right. say because i think about things that happen everything right now never thought would happen right now i didn't think i'd see protests thought. around the world for people literally holding signs saying black lives matter white people brown people asian people making videos all wore black lives matters t-shirts today I, at practice i love it I love it. Like, it's like, wow. and the thing is that, and I, I actually had this point that I made with someone uh, the other day in one of my podcasts, and they're all starting to bleed in my mind now. But the point being is this, that yes, it is a Black Lives Matter movement. And yes, it may be about Black Lives Matter, but this is more than just Black Lives Matter, because this is an opportunity for us to fix indigenous issues, for us to fix issues with LGBTQ. Like, this is not going to be no, just... This can help white people. Pardon? This is going to help white people. It's going to help everybody. Like, it, it, may, it might be the, the catalyst might be Black Lives Matter, but this is going to be an opportunity for us to look at a lot of social ills that includes indigenous issues. Here's how it's going to help everybody. For the last hundred years, North America has been concerned with raising the ceiling for the best of us. This is the first movement where we are raising the floor for those considered to be the least of us. Yes. And what happens when we raise the floor? A rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. So when you start to treat black people properly, anybody who's gay, who's autistic, who's isolated, who's alienated, who has mental health issues, when you raise the floor for how you treat those who you believe are lowest, you raise the floor for everybody. So I know there are things that I'm going to complain about at work that are going to help white people at work. Mm-hmm. It's going to help them. Like, so to me, this is a this is. This is the most significant thing that ever happened in my life, other than my birth. Same here. That's why I'm so like I'm I'm so motivated to work harder than I've ever worked before now, simply because I know I have a platform and I haven't really used it to to my greatest potential. Simply because I've been content with, you know, living my own personal life. I'd like to be like for literally we haven't spoken in so many years because I like to be in the shadows. You're out there publicly doing your thing, but I prefer to just live a quiet life. I'll go out there and DJ once in a while. And, you know, but I'm home reading books and I'm good. That's it. I don't need to do anything else, but I can't. Styles make fights. Pardon? Styles make fights, man. Everybody's got a different fight to fight and they're going to fight Southpaw, well, North Paw. But here's the thing, though. But I wasn't really fighting at all. But I am now. Like now, like I would never in a million years would have done a video podcast because I didn't. I don't like being on camera. I don't like cameras. I don't like. I'm I think re- you're cute. <laughs> you're so dumb. You're dumb for real. <laughs> You are dumb for real. Okay, so thanks for uh, 
just sullying it up a little, Akil. I appreciate it. But no, but honestly, like, I have to do more. And I realize I have to do more. And if I want to see a difference in the world, then I have to also play my part in it. And that means I can't be in the shadows anymore. I got to be out in public talking about the kind of things that we talked about today. I don't think there are a lot of conversations where you're going to see two professional black men talking about meditation so passionately. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... meditation has saved my life it has literally saved my life like i would not be i don't know how i would be able to survive this world without meditation like and i just want that for everybody else like even though i guess i'm being pushy and forceful on people in terms of trying to say you have to do this kind of thing like you know like do it do it now do it now like like, meditate meditate like but it's that how that's i just i know it will help you so much but you, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I get it. But it's just, I hope that people seeing us talking about this, maybe, and all these kids. It, 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 trust me, you're doing the right thing because I, I was in the same position as you were. And when I look at my inbox on Instagram and, and in my emails, and I get these emails from these kids like, hey, six years ago you mentioned a book and I read it. Or five months ago you mentioned a movie and I watched it. Or three months ago you mentioned a technique and I tried it. I mean, shit. That's that's more important than anything. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. That's what it's about. That's that's all it's about. So, Akil, man, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. And I feel like we only scratched the surface on. Um... So let's dig deeper next time. Episode two, Attack of the Clones. Okay, we'll have to do a second episode. But um, real quick, is there anything that you want to let people know about that um you got coming up that you just yeah. want to put some attention on right now? Mind Club Canada. We are now officially on Instagram. We are in a proposal phase. We will be pitching to corporations to get money for hopefully the fiscal 2021. But what it is, is it's a pilot program we're creating. We want to have satellite programs all over southern Ontario. Um, We're going to focus on BIPOC children and teaching them mindfulness techniques, um, ways to lower their blood pressure. Um, So we're in the early stages. We're working with some great people. But um, anybody has resources that we could use, uh, we're more than open to it. Myself, Akil Augustine on Instagram, Mind Club International on Instagram. And uh, I'm going to continue to put you know content out there about it. But that's the most important thing for me right now. I don't think the NBA needs me to plug it. I think they've got enough people talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other thing I would love to talk to you about, too. Just the whole player controversy in terms of who wants to be well, let's in. do it man okay we're let's gonna we're gonna have to do that okay but again here i'm gonna this is my sign off thing that i do with everybody now i give you the real hands emoji thing to say thank you so much no no emojis just the real hands akil you are you're a king you are a king sir thank you thank you so much and uh thank you everybody for uh, watching and listening to the ready fox show and uh there'll be a part two i guess we'll figure it out be. We'll figure it out. Okay, man. Thank you so much, dude. Deuces!